third book of John tonight. We did second John last week. And after this, there are no more Johns. A powerful epistle, yet short by, you know, standards here, one chapter. We're going to read all the verses here. I got through 15. Lord, we just thank you tonight for your word. We thank you tonight that we can worship you and come in this place. Lord, I just pray, Lord God, that you would give everybody something to take home. Father, that we would hear from your heart tonight and that we would catch some of the principles of your word, Lord, in such a way that they challenge us, they give us wisdom, they help the missing pieces to be found and things to click that haven't clicked for us yet. Your word does all of that, Lord, so renew our minds and revive our emotions and touch our hearts tonight. We ask all this in Jesus' name by the Holy Spirit and the church said, Amen. So here we go, Third John. Read the whole thing. It says, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. That, that, that just as your soul prospers part is very important. For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth. That is how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this, to hear that my children walking in truth beloved you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren and especially when they are strangers and they have testified to your love before the church you will do well to send them away on their way in a manner worthy of god for they were for they went out for your for the sake of the name accepting nothing from the gentiles therefore we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does unjustly, accusing us with wicked words and not satisfied with us. He himself does not receive the brethren neither and he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church beloved do not imitate what is evil but what is good the one who does good is of god the one who does evil has not seen god demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself and we add our testimony and you know that our testimony is true I had many things to write to you, but I am not willing to write them to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly, and we will speak face to face. Peace be to you, the friends greeting you. Greet the friends by name. So short, covering a few topics that don't necessarily jump out. You might think, well, there's not a whole lot in here. But there's always a, a whole lot in every verse of Scripture. Amen? So we start off here. Here, here is... John, again, writing to the church, reiterating some of the themes he hit in 2 John. We're going to see some uh, overlap. You say, why is there overlap in such short epistles? Because you got to drive the point home sometimes. Did anybody learn anything on the first pass? Come on, Wednesday night. Sometimes it takes, how many times do you have to hear things before you get it? I mean, I'm, the older I get, it's like five, six on the, on the seventh time. Seven's a good number. I'm good with that. 
kind of like passing the bar, right? Not everybody gets it on the first shot. But, you know, we need to hear things over and over again. And the, the fact that these small epistles contain some, you know, overlapping themes means they're very important to the church. And so we've got to hear it again. I heard somebody one time say, we heard that before. Yeah, but are we living what we heard? If not, we need to hear it again. And so he's overlapping. He's reiterating some themes he also faces some new issues, and they're sticky ones. They're like issues within the body. There's some gossip going on. There's some tyranny going on in the body here. You got a, a certain person who's out of control, who's excommunicating and throwing people out of the church because he doesn't like John, and John writes an epistle, and he's like, we're not reading this, we're not listening to this. I'm in charge, forget about John. Ever met people like that? Well, they're not just you know, anomalies that happen in situations. They've always been there. There's always people who want to take charge, who want to put themselves at the top. And these things have always been in the church. I find it interesting that people leave the church because there was a problem there. Somebody, you know, somebody offended me or there was gossip or there was friction. Well, that's everywhere. So if you want to try and run away from that, you're going to get to attend every church within 100 miles. And then you're going to want to move. Because that stuff is human nature. Notice John calls out specific people by name. He affirms some and he corrects some. Leadership is not only for affirmation. Leadership is not only just to stroke you and pat you and say, good job, good try. Sometimes leadership has to correct, you know, certain situations and certain specific people. Now, I don't necessarily like to do that from the pulpit unless it's public, and if it's done in public, maybe I'll correct it in public, but here's John doing it in God's holy scripture that's going to stand forever. This, there's a couple people here, and some of them are going to get called out. I don't know about you, but uh, you better make sure you're right when you do that, amen? You better make sure it's the Holy Ghost and not your own opinion, but John is, John is affirming and he's correcting, and he, he, he does it in an apostolic way from a position of authority. Uh, the type of affirmation and correction that we see here is a vital component of Christian leadership because if you have leaders who are unwilling to correct people who are out of order, what's going to happen? They're going to pollute the body. What does the Bible say? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Amen. Well, a little sin here and a little sexual immorality there and a little drunkenness here and a little carousing there and a little bit of whatever, fill in the blank. Sometimes we've got to correct it and nip it in the bud and do it in such a way that it doesn't spread through the body. Anybody alive tonight? You look like you're shell-shocked already. I didn't even get to the meat of it. Man, you, if you have a helmet, you better strap it at this point because this is the easy part. So here's... The apostle doing apostolic things, and he's affirming, he's correcting. Um, people who, you know, are not motivated by the Holy Spirit, who are allowed to infect the body with gossip, with dissension, with deception, with false doctrine, they, they weaken the body, they deceive the body, and they split the body. How many have ever seen or been involved in a church split? A lot of people. And the rest of you are lying. 
Paul was painfully aware that there would always be people in the church who wanted to put themselves in a position of authority, weaken the body, and divide it so they can, you know, create something for themselves. Listen to what Paul says here in Acts 20, in verses 28 through 30. Paul knows that his end is coming, and, you know, that he's going to be with the Lord, and this is what he says in Acts 20, starting in verse 28. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. Verse 29, for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. So here's Paul. He knows he's going to depart. And and what does he know? He knows that when he's gone, there's going to be a power vacuum. Hello? And what's going to happen? Fleshly people are going to smell that and see that, and they're going to try to put themselves in positions of power. And he calls them wolves. Why? Because they tear apart the sheep. Paul knew it, and it happened, and there was heresies and division in the church from its inception, and, and notice it comes from outside the body and within inside the body. It's people who raise up and try and elevate themselves. It's people who kind of fly in and try and take control or spread some false doctrine. And this is, you know, this is a pattern that we see in all the early churches. It bothered Paul because he loved the churches so much. John is speaking to it here. In this short epistle... 15 verses, we're going to cover the proper display of hospitality as it pertains to traveling ministries. Remember, that was from John, 2 John. Traveling ministers were the way that the gospel was spread in those days. Uh, he, He warned us that before you take people into your home and support their ministry, make sure they're preaching sound doctrine. You know, it's amazing throughout the years, I've seen Christians that send money to ministries that are, you know, have been proven to have serious issues and serious misuses of money and serious doctrinal problems. Yet Christians support these things. We shouldn't do that. We shouldn't support cults. We talked about Jehovah's Witnesses and we talked about Mormons and there there are so many cults out there. There's so many people with, you know, the New Age stuff. We shouldn't give our money and our time and our support to those things. Why? Because they're a false gospel and they're counteracting the real gospel. You know, there's so much confusion out there. And what passes for spirituality and like people peddle all kinds of stuff. And I know a lot of us before we got saved, we, we, t- we tried out a lot of things. We dabbled in a lot of stuff. And thank God for the Holy Spirit that he wooed us out of deception. But as Christians, we shouldn't support those things. So, uh, you know, we're looking at hospitality as far as hosting those who are actually preaching the gospel that that's a good thing we're going to see uh how to deal with gossip and jealousy in the church now that's in every other church we don't have any of that here you know so you know just for learning purposes for posterity's sake we'll look at that um also how to deal with unsubmissive people who want to lead and you know even correcting leadership when it's wrong so that's that's an interesting here there are three specific people mentioned by john in this short 15 verse epistle gaius diatrephes and demetrius and they'll either be affirmed or corrected so we'll we'll take a look at that verse one again john starts by referring to himself 
as the elder. And we, we noted that he is probably certainly the oldest living apostle at that time. It's about 90 AD. Uh, I'm not quite sure how old John was when he died. I, I, you know, obviously old outlived a lot of the other uh, apostles. Why? Because they were martyred. But John is still around. Now, think about um, John's knowledge of the gospel at this point. He walked with Jesus. He laid on Jesus' breath. This is firsthand account here. He, he, he knew Jesus in an intimate way. He ate with him. He, you know, he slept with him. He traveled with him. He saw him do miracles. So this is not like, you know, uh, third-hand account. This is John the apostle, the elder, and he's giving, you know, us basically God-breathed revelation here. No, John is the one who received the book of Revelation on the island of Patmos. So, you know, all of that is, you know, through John's ministry, through his life. It's an interesting thing. He's the oldest living apostle uh, that's alive. And so um, remember what happened with Jesus when uh, the other disciples were looking at John and uh, they were wondering, you know, what his place was going to be down the road. Uh, In John 21, verses 20 through 22, uh, Peter says something to Jesus and listen to the response here. Peter turned around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following. That was John who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said, Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? So Peter wants to know all kinds of questions, and he says, well, you know, who's going to betray you? And then he says, well, what about John? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you, Peter? Follow me. Woo, Jesus told him off. Right? John's like, you know, Peter's like, what about this? What about that? I want an answer to this. And Jesus is like, you know, follow me, buddy. Just stop asking all these questions. What is it to you if I want John to remain until I come back? I find that an interesting statement. The scripture says that they kind of debated that and said, is John never going to die? No, but he outlived them all. And his life and the extension of his ministry was in the hands of Jesus as all of ours is. So John is the elder. He's got a firsthand account here. Uh, His ministry is in the hands of Jesus. The first person John mentions uh, by name is Gaius, and uh, he calls him a dear friend and declares that he loves him in the truth. Now, this is interesting. Uh, John's a a disciple. He knew Jesus firsthand, yet he doesn't discredit other Christian ministers who are co-laborers with him. Amen? Amen. Have you ever met people that they got to be first and they got to be the center of attention and it's got to be all about them? Let's try the other rows back here. (laughs) Did you ever meet people that got to be first and have to draw all the attention to themselves and it's got to be all about them? Yeah, in the back row too, that's good. Well, you know what? Even though that has no place in the ministry, the truth is I've seen it a lot in the ministry. And you old veteran saints who've been around have seen it too. It's something that, you know, pride and ego has to be checked. We need to be servant leaders. Yet, you know, here's this disciple uh, who is affirming another man. Why? Because he's a fellow laborer. Gaius is a, a fellow laborer with John, and he calls him a dear friend. Christian leaders and workers need to work together and love and appreciate one another. Amen? You know, we shouldn't be jealous of other ministries. We shouldn't be jealous of other churches. Of a, Well, they're bigger, or they got this, or they You know, we should thank God for those who are around us, who are here to serve, who are here to accomplish the vision of the house. 
Amen? And be content. Look, bigger isn't always better. Bigger brings more problems. Bigger, well, I'll go to a big church. You'll never talk to the pastor. You can come bother me anytime you want. You ring my phone, I'll pick it up. I'll talk to you. Some places you go, you know, I know people who go to big churches, multi-campuses, all this stuff. You, you never talk to the pastor. Sometimes we get so big that the shepherd loses his ability to have touch. And I don't think that's too healthy. Sometimes when it gets too big, we need to get some co-laborers in. We need to get some other people, if egos will allow that. Gaius was a fellow worker. John didn't have an ego. He was, uh, he was willing to affirm him, you know, calls him a dear friend. Uh, they were more than colleagues, and we are more than colleagues and co-workers. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, amen? This is a family. Welcome to the family. Verse 2, look how much fun we had in one verse. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. What a powerful verse here. Uh, this is a prayer for prosperity. And unlike the prosperity doctrine that we've seen ravage the church and lead many people astray, this, this prayer for prosperity has a caveat in it. I want you to prosper as your soul prospers. This is very important. Why? Because a Christian who is immature doesn't need prosperity, in, especially in material ways, that'll just keep them in immaturity. Sometimes the reason we don't have all the blessings, all the stuff, all the position, all the prominence is because our character is not quite there yet. I got two groans and a ha. Huh. But the truth is God knows when we're ready to be blessed when we're ready. Why? Because sometimes, you know, too much blessing and we take our eyes off the blesser and we look at the blessings. And here he says, I want you to prosper. Now, you know, these prosperity doctrines, they've been dangerous to the body. Why? Because they, they weren't hinged or predicated on the fact that we were growing in spiritual maturity so we could handle the blessings. No, I just want all the stuff now. And Jesus, give it to me, and, and I want it, and the Bible says I can have it. Divine prosperity, yes. Divine health, yes. But only as our soul prospers in proportion to those things. I'm going home. It's what the Word says, amen, and people leave that out. So, you, you know, if we want more, uh, we want more anointing, we want more ministry responsibility, we want you know, greater gifts, we've got to allow ourselves to develop spiritually. So important, something that we need to focus on. Now, Christians who are filled with sin are not going to prosper. We've got a lot of sin in the body of Christ, a lot of immorality. People living together, people engaging in all kinds of sexual misconduct, uh, adultery, you know, pride, selfishness, lust. Uh, materialism, the desire for excess, and all of these things, you know, when those things are present in a Christian, their soul needs to, their, their soul needs to be, you know, refreshed and regenerated and delivered. But the worst thing that could happen is we get more stuff to take our eyes off of Jesus, amen? So a prosperous soul is the greatest treasure, amen? You know what I found out when my soul prospers? I don't even care about material things, 
Man, because when you delight yourself in the Lord and he's your delight, what, do you, what else do you have to go to when you're with Jesus and you're, you're walking in his perfect will and you're being blessed and you're seeing fruit and you have peace at night when you go to sleep? You know, the rich man doesn't have peace when he goes to sleep at night. He's worried about his stock and he's worried about his workers and he's working about the criminals that are going to steal from him. He's worried about all of these things. If the IRS is going to come get him. Prosper as our souls prosper. Verse 3, John was excited to hear that Gaius uh, is displaying healthy signs of spiritual integrity and maturity. So Gaius is a man who is spiritual, and his soul was prospering here. He says, for I, I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth that is how you are walking in truth. So here's John, and he's excited. Why? Because this guy, Gaius, is a fellow laborer. He's someone that John loves and respects, and he's seeing Christian maturity developed in his life. This is the point of the whole drill. Why are we here tonight? Because we want to grow closer to God and grow in our faith, amen? We didn't come to hear a few songs and listen to some guy go blah, 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 blah for 40 minutes. I hope that's not why you're here. Oh, I'm here to get brownie points with God. If you come to church twice a week, boy, he's really going to bless you. No, we're here to grow in our Christian maturity. And, and, and that's, why we, that's why we preach the word. And that's why we're going through it verse by verse here. Because when we get a hold of this, it, get a, it gets a hold of us. And it changes us from the inside out. So here's Gaius, a fellow worker in the ministry. And there's testimony and a good report about the fact that he is not only, you know, speaking the truth, but that he's walking in truth. Did you catch that in there? Yeah, truth is important, but it's one thing just to preach the truth and not live the truth. We got a lot of that going on. It can happen to any of us, amen? Why? Because, you know, this can become religious. This can become dogmatic. This can just become, you know, teaching. But if we don't allow it to affect our lives, our souls aren't going to prosper. Gaius' soul was prospering, and John was thrilled about that. Verse 4, John, an apostle and an elder, saw Gaius as a spiritual son. I want you to see this. Uh, all the apostles, you know, having the right heart and knowing Jesus and being filled with the Holy Spirit, they display the proper attitude here. It says in verse 4, I have no greater joy. Listen to that. I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. Amen? When our children do the right things, you should write it down. Amen? God gets excited when we do the right things. John, an apostle with a father's heart, looks at Gaius as a spiritual son. Do you get this? We need more of this in the body of Christ, amen? Not in the way that, you know, well, you're my spiritual children and you're, you know, you're going to serve me and do what I say. No, no, we've had some of that. We've had some of that in certain movements and it's been unhealthy. But we need people, teachers, pastors, leaders, you know, men of God, people of God that will mentor others and see them as spiritual offspring. We have to, we have to develop you know, if all we do is come and live and die, but we never reproduce ourselves in somebody else, everything God's done in us was lost. I think about this as I'm getting older, that I want to reproduce myself spiritually in other men, so that, especially young men, so that they can carry the torch when I'm gone. Amen? 
And it's an important thing. So I, I was raised in this house. I was saved in this house. You know, I was called in this house, and now I serve in this house. <laughs> and that's a good pattern. We can't all run down south and hide and live a good life. Some of us got to stay in New Yorkistan and carry the torch. So let's think about that, reproducing ourselves spiritually in others. Um, people always brag about their children. You know, you see the bumper stickers, my child is this and my child is that. And, you know, my child is an athlete at this school. And, you know, I get it. Parents are proud of their children. So we need to understand that spiritually, not that we should brag, but that we should be re reproducing ourselves in a way that we see fruit in the lives of others, that we could be excited about it. Amen. Verse 5 through 8, give more detail and instruction about the issue of hospitality towards traveling preachers. Now, remember we said that, you know, the gospel, you know, there was no TV, there was no Facebook, there was no internet, there was no way to disperse the gospel and ministry other than traveling evangelists or teachers. And there was no shortage of them. They would come to the churches. And the first thing that had to be proven was that they were preaching sound doctrine. You notice everyone I have come uh, to the church to preach, you know, or teach, whoever it is, they are solid people. And if you've seen them more than once, they are definitely solid people. And if you've seen them once and you never see them again, that says something too. But we vet them. Why? Because we don't want anything coming out of this pulpit that's going to sow tares in the flock. And so it's very important that, you know, we vet those who come and preach and teach and make sure their doctrine is sound. Hospitality towards those traveling ministers, that's what kept them going. Without the support of the local church, they couldn't minister. If they weren't ministering the true gospel, if they were preaching a different gospel, they needed to dry up and not afflict the body. So, you know, verses 5 through 8 are showing us that, you know, hospitality is important, but there again, make sure you're supporting the right things. Verse 5, when you host or bless a minister that's preaching solid doctrine, remember, you're not doing it for them, you're not giving it to them, but you're giving it to the Lord. So when we support ministries, when we support the Voice of the Martyrs, when we support Charles in Gambia, when we support Andy Webster in China, we're not giving it to them. When you bring an offering for missions or for ministry or for outreach, you're not giving it you know, to them. You're not giving it to the church. You're not giving it to me. You're giving it to God. And even if, you know, I've known people when I was growing up, I had a friend who was in a church and he was giving money to it. And then he found out they were misusing money or something wasn't right. And he thought, you know, was there no blessing attached to my giving? Absolutely there was. If you give in good conscience to a good cause with the right heart and with faith, that your blessing is attached to that. Everybody else could drop the ball. You drop it in the box with the right heart, you're getting blessed. Amen? So, you know, we've got to vet these ministries. We, we don't want God's money misused. But the thing is, we, we're not giving it to them. We're giving it to God. It says here, beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever you accomplish for the brethren, and especially when they are strangers. So, you know, you're doing this for the church, you're doing it for the Lord in the end, and God uses what we give. Verse 6, it says here, and they have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. So 
If they're godly ministers, if they preach the gospel, if they serve with integrity, you know, if they don't come puffing themselves up and demanding that, you know, you serve them, send them off in a way that would, that would please God. So these guys would come, they would preach, they would share the gospel, they would encourage people's faith, and then, you know, they would ramp them up with supplies or whatever they need and send them off to another church to minister. And that's a good pattern. It's a pattern that, you know, is something that we replicate in our ministry all the time. When people come and they minister, we, we take offerings for them. You say, you know, why do we do these things? Because it's biblical. Mike Gurton comes, he pops out of the time machine. He, he, he opens up the word to us and ministers to us, creates a beautiful atmosphere in here. Come on, have you been, you've been here from Pastor Mike? And then what? We send him off on his way. We give him an offering. We bless him. We send him off on his way. You know what? He doesn't just go home and sit there for the rest of the year. He goes from church to church to church. He goes to children's camps. He's been doing camps for, I think, almost 40 years, ministering to children in such a powerful way. You and I sow into that. We have a part in the blessing of what he does. So this is all biblical. You know, why do we do things? Because the word tells us to, to do it this way. Um, if you send them forward on their journey in a, in a manner uh, worthy of God, you will do well. So it's affirmed there that uh, this is the way we're to treat Christian ministries. You know, it shouldn't, <laughs> we shouldn't have to say this, that we need to, you know, treat people well. But remember, a lot of times people don't get treated well in the ministry. You know, I've been around, I've seen behind the scenes, I've talked to evangelists and missionaries and stuff. Sometimes missionaries get sent out and then the churches back home cut their support off. My neck is tightening up just telling you this. It's wrong. You shouldn't treat people like that. It's kind of like America sending soldiers off to war and then when they come home not, you know, having the money to, for their health care. So we got to raise money for wounded warriors who have traumatic brain injuries. Come on, you waste our tax money on everything else. You send a soldier out, take care of them. And we can get behind that, right? It's the same thing with Christian ministries. Treat people right. If someone comes and they minister and you're blessed, sow whatever seed God tells you to sow, amen? If they're here, it's going to be good ground and there's going to be a blessing attached to it. So... Uh, powerful stuff. It's, you know, things that we need to be reminded of that the fivefold ministries need to find their support in the local church. Uh, pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets, apostles. The local church supports all those things. Amen. And we need to support them. Why? Because they're a blessing to the body of Christ. Thank God for missionaries. Thank God for missions. Amen. Thank God for Brother Charles. Thank God for the, the missionaries that we support. Why? Because I believe that that is the Father's heart. Amen. He's not worried about us being, you know, we're so blessed. We really don't need anything more. Oh, no, I need a thicker seat and the air conditions losing some Freon. It's getting a little bit warm in here. No, we don't need any more blessings here. We got enough. We need people to get off their couches and come back to church. Amen. And, he, and get hungry for the word. But we don't need more stuff. You know, I don't know how many pastors would get up in the pulpit and say, we don't need more money here. But we don't. We need more faithfulness. We need more loyalty. We need more servants and leaders. Amen. But you're the Wednesday night meat eaters club, so we're not talking to you. But verse 7 brings up an interesting point here. I want you 
check this out. It says, for they went out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Let me just say something about that. When they say Gentiles here, they're talking about lost people, amen? They're talking about the world. So these ministers that went out to minister, they didn't raise support from the world. And what, what I want you to understand, the principle here is this, that the lost do not pay for evangelism, you're not going to, you know, that's not how it works. The, 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 the Gentiles didn't provide anything for them to provide spiritual or physical or financial or emotional support for those missionaries, for those ministers. That support has to come from the church. Verse 8, supporting those who are solely supported by the body of believers within the local church makes us co-laborers with them. That's what I want you to get here tonight. Not all of us can go to Gambia. Not all of us can go out, you know, to Africa or we can't go to Europe or we can't go to, to the Middle East. Not all of us can go to China, but we can support people who do. And when we do that, we become co-laborers with them. And there's a blessing attached to that. Do you see? I don't know if you notice, but Full Gospel Center is very blessed. Anybody believe me besides like the three people who said amen? We are very blessed. And I'll tell you why. It's not because we're, you know, exceptional people or the pastor's just wonderful. No, we are blessed because we support missions. And I believe that 100%. So missions are important to support. We become co-laborers with them. There's a blessing attached to it. What we make happen for others, God makes happen for us. When we take care of the needs of the needy, God meets our needs. When we, we you know, send out those to bring the gospel uh, to the lost, God heals and saves the lost that we're praying for. That's how it works. Sowing and reaping. Uh, verse 9, John goes full apostolic gangster in verse 9. And, you know, there again, leaders have to affirm, but they also have to correct. And here John shows some of his teeth. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, did not accept what we say. So here, let me just, let me just make that really plain. John sends an epistle, and this guy, Diotrephes, he, he doesn't want to receive John. He wants to undercut John. He wants to take John's place. So he doesn't receive what John sends. And realize, this is the word of God. And here you got a guy who's presiding over the church of God, receiving an epistle from a man of God, and, and saying, we're not going to obey that, we're not going to listen to that, and we're not going to even acknowledge that John is an apostle. Wow. I don't know if you get it out there, but that's big trouble in the church. When you have a church that refuses to submit to apostolic authority or God-ordained authority, when you have a church that rejects the, the very God-breathed word, you, you've got, you know, a church that's, you know, in serious trouble. So John, you know, he's a good under-shepherd, and he's patient, and he's kind, and he's tender, and that's what pastors are. They're under-shepherds. Jesus is the great shepherd. We work for Jesus. We shepherd the sheep. A good under-shepherd has to be patient and has to be kind and has to be tender when it comes to dealing with sheep. You say, what can, I, what can I count on from you, Pastor Rick, if I come to you? Listen to me. If you come to me, I'm going to be gentle and tender with you. You say, I don't believe you. Yeah, I'm going to be patient. Amen. I'm not, uh, listen, I, in, 
how, I don't know how many years of ministry is it now? Help me out there with the numbers there, 20, 29, something like that. I have never jumped across my desk and choked anyone. <laughs> but I have heard some of the craziest stuff you will ever hear. Incest, adultery, rape. I mean, I've heard it all in my office. If those walls could talk. And not, not one time, always, always what we extend is grace and mercy. Pedophiles, I've, I've ministered to them. I've prayed for them. I've visited them in jail. You're looking at me now. You don't want to come close to me. You can always expect that. An under-shepherd has to be patient, has to be tender. Sometimes, you know, and it's a, it's a gift of the Holy Spirit that because there's sometimes where I've dealt with really difficult people and my wife is looking at me, who is this guy? Look how patient and gentle he is. Because, you know, it's, it's even beyond our own character and God will do that. But on the other side of the coin, there are times when shepherds have to show their teeth. Over those many years of ministry, I've dealt with people who had religious spirits, who, who had demonic spirits. I've dealt with Jezebel spirits. I've thrown people out of the church. I said, if you come back, I'll have the troopers remove you. I mean, there's times where I've had to show my teeth. And then another, and people are like, whoa, he's serious. Yeah, this is serious. And so understand, it's a balance. If you want to be in leadership, if you, if you are a parent, you have to balance that. You have to balance the tenderness with the toughness. You have to be gentle and patient, but there are some times you've got to show your teeth. If you're unwilling to show your teeth, you have no business in leadership. Because if you don't discipline, see, I'll have all the patience in the world with sheep, but I don't like wolves. Shepherds kill wolves. David killed the lion and the bear. I've never jumped across my desk on a sheep, but I've got in the face of a couple wolves over the course of time. And understand, this is, what, this is what John is exemplifying here. He's very tender with the sheep, but this guy, Diotrephes, he is a wolf, and John goes after him, and he basically, you know, he says in verse 10, if I come there, I'm, he's basically saying, if I come there, I'm going to get in this guy's face and straighten him out. Wow, John's old at this point, but he's rolling like a gangster here. Why? Because he's... He's serious about preserving the integrity of the gospel. So Diotrephes refused to acknowledge John's apostolic authority, refused to acknowledge his epistles, maliciously attacked John with gossip, spoke harsh words against him, and uh, he persecuted those in the church who did respect John and did want to read the epistle. He threw them out of the church. He excommunicated them. Religious people love those, you know, those things, oh, that authority. Well, I'll throw you out of the church. It's quite, a, it's quite a thing to think, you know, I mean, I know there's proper place for excommunication. There's proper place for church correction. The Bible lays it out. But it's quite a thing to throw someone out of the body of Christ. <laughs> I mean, not that some people don't need to be thrown out. If they're wolves, if they're predatory, We've had people here preying on our young girls and youth group. We've had people here eyeballing our children. Yeah, we, we throw them out. So all this stuff is relevant. All this stuff is applicable. John has given us a good model here. In verse 11, uh, verse 11 serves as both a warning and a way to identify those within the body 
who are not connected to God. And this is important. Why? Because how do you find out who's a wolf and who's just a sheep gone astray? You find out where their connection is. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God, but the one who does evil has not seen God. And so it's a really simple test here. It's kind of the fruit of the person's life. You know, and you got to get close enough to discern it. And you got to get close enough to see it. But when you do see it, you know, well, I'm very spiritual. But are, are you full of sin? Are, are you in drunkenness? Are you in sexual immorality? Are you, are you living loose? Well, come on, I'm just being really plain and simple with you. you know, well, you know, I've been a, a Christian a long time, you know, and I'm not perfect. And I say, either you, you know, either you love God and you hate sin or you've given yourself over to sin and you're not connected to God. And that's the test there. And you know what? All of us are wise enough to know when people are off the mark. Amen? Be careful about who you let speak into your life. Be careful about who you hang around with. Oh, well, they've been Christians a long time. Be careful. Judge the fruit. Not to be judgmental, but just to protect your own precious faith. So it's real easy here. The one who does good is connected to God. The one who does evil has not seen God. So it's kind of a lifestyle, a pattern. All of us sin. All of us get off the mark. All of us believe things that at times may, may be unbiblical. Uh, but if we're sheep and, uh, you know, we have the right heart, the shepherd will correct us and bring us back in line. Wolves don't want to be corrected. Wolves want to prey on the sheep. Verse 12, as we're coming to the end here, uh, we're looking at a man called Demetrius. Now, there are two Demetrius is mentioned in Scripture here. Uh, the one in verse 12, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we ourselves testify or give testimony uh, that you know our testimony is true. So John is saying, I affirm him. He, he's accepted and in the body of leadership. And so Demetrius is a good guy. There's another Demetrius in Scripture in Acts 19. He was an idolatrous silversmith who starts a riot and almost cost Paul his life at that point. This is not the same Demetrius. Okay, this Demetrius is a godly man. He has a good track record. Uh, John affirms him. He has a stellar reputation and testimony. You know, this leadership stamp of approval on people is an important thing. If you can trust leadership, you know, and they affirm people, this is a good brethren, this is a good person, you can trust them. You know, many times when people leave the church and they get involved in other churches, they move, I get letters from their pastors and they want me to affirm their character before they allow them into ministry. So just realize, you know, the body of Christ needs to make sure that those that are placed in positions of ministry have good track records and have integrity and love God. So, you know, some of this is going on here. Demetrius is most probably the guy who delivers the epistle to this church here. He delivers, physically delivers third John to the church. And so uh, John is sending him with affirmation, basically saying you can trust this guy. You know, remember, Diotrephes obviously didn't trust him, obviously was probably insulting and didn't want to receive the epistle. But John is saying, I affirm him. You can trust him. Uh, verse 13 through 15 here. Just, just give us the typical farewell greeting uh, and, and the farewell and the book is over. So we have, we have a lot going on in there, even though it's a little book. And remember, uh, we need to be careful of supporting things that are counter the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
We need to be careful not to deal with ministers or ministries or groups that preach a different gospel. Be very important. You know, be very careful what you support because it's important. The body of Christ, we should support. We should support evangelists. We should support special speakers. We should support missionaries, and we do. And there's a great blessing attached to that. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I just thank you tonight for this book. And it's short, but there are so many relevant things in there for us. I pray for everyone within the sound of my voice that they would be encouraged tonight to know that they're part of the family of God, that they're connected to the body of Christ, that God has put good under-shepherds over them to protect them. Father, that you would give them wisdom and knowledge to know how to protect their precious faith from wolves. Father, keep full gospel center free from those who have a different spirit besides the Holy Spirit. Father, we just thank you for the angels that are posted around our property that protect us from religious spirits and Jezebel spirits and witchcraft spirits. We thank you for the blood of Jesus and for the Holy Spirit that preserves our faith. Jesus, you didn't lose one that the Father put into your hand, and you can keep us. So keep us by your Spirit, we ask it in your precious name. Amen. I give him praise tonight.